1: Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. You need to explore what's in your invisible knapsack. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood.
0: Please stop showing up in costume. You're
1: embarrassing me. With Margaret Apples and Amy Wilson. You need to maybe go beyond Doc McStuffins, A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I know all the terms. (music) Hello, everyone. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week we have a kind of a different episode because we're going to have a guest for the whole episode. We're going to talk about talking to our kids about race. Today's guest is Deborah Porter. She's a well-known mom coach and the founder of Moms Mentoring Circle. And she's the mother of three young adults. Her experience with many mom groups over the years has solidified her belief that we're better together and that mothering doesn't have to happen alone. Thanks for talking to us, Deborah.
2: Thanks for having me, you guys. It's great to be here.
1: We usually start our episode by talking about that episode and framing it like, is this a thing? Is this actually a thing that we have to worry about? Or is it really not as big a deal as we're making it? And I think this week, it's kind of just the opposite. Like, this was more of a thing than we thought it was. Our work around this needs to be more intentional than we had Realize, like just speaking for myself, I think I pride myself in raising my kids in a very diverse community in a New York City where we choose to live, where we choose to send our kids to school. But I think also had a little bit of that idea that, like we don't see race, that the ideal around talking about racism is to be colorblind, and that's actually pretty counterproductive. I'm coming to understand.
2: Well, thank you guys for having me. I adore you. You guys bring such joy to my mornings. Watching your skits
0: are just (laughs) the best. Well, this episode is starting fantastic. We should have clearly had you on before now. This is awesome. (laughs) But
2: I love how you encourage us to just not take ourselves so seriously. And I think as moms, we all struggle with that on any given day. But to get to the topic, yes, race is a thing. It's a thing, and it's a thing that I think we hope will just figure itself out. But I think it's these conversations that help us to figure it out. And, you know, I do think that most of us want to think we're raising our children to be colorblind or to not see race. But that can be counterproductive. And the person that I love and listen to about this now is Melody Hobson. Melody talks about being color brave. Because there's nothing wrong with seeing race. If you don't see color, then you don't see me because I present with color. I'm African-American. So there's really a great respect, I think, that we give each other when we do see color. We do see race. We do acknowledge it because I come with that color and everything that that experience has afforded me. So I love, Amy, that you brought that up and that
0: you're kind of seeing that a little differently right now. I think it's a conversation. I mean, I think we talk about this a lot. And one of the things we try to do on the podcast all the time is say, like, see how this theory applies to all aspects of parenting. And I think there's a lot of that with our conversation today, which is like having conversation. You don't have one conversation with your kids about anything. You're having a lifelong conversation with your kids. And I think it can be easy, especially as white moms who feel like, well, you know, they have Martin Luther King Day and they learn about this and that. And, you know, oh, well, we bring up race all the time. And look, our kids have a diverse set of friends. And we sometimes, I think, forget or let ourselves off of the hook about really having conversations about race, because it's something I think for white moms, we have to introduce into the conversation. Whereas for moms of color, it's like this is a part of our conversation every day. And I do think that current events are making me see and I think a lot of people see that like Oh, this is a conversation that I can opt in and out of. And for a lot of my friends, that is not the case. That is spot on, Margaret.
2: You know, we're talking about race but we should be having this conversation in our families repeatedly, just like you mentioned. So we're not talking to our kids, at least I hope we're not talking to our kids once about the birds and the bees, like that is so beaver, like we, <laughs> it's not a one-time conversation. We're not talking once about, you know, the responsible use or no use at all of drugs or alcohol. You know, if these are ongoing conversations, which is what race has to be as well. You know, we can learn about Thanksgiving But we can also learn about the Trail of Tears, right? One doesn't cancel out the other. Both of those are American history. Both of those should be being discussed. You know, we love Thanksgiving. It's a great holiday. You know, there's there's another side to that, though, that our children really need to be aware of. It does need to be age-appropriate right? There are some things you can say to a five-year-old. There are some things you'll say to a 15-year-old. You don't want to get that mixed up because you could really freak out your five-year-old. And we, that's not what we're talking about.
0: And I think that's where a lot of people get hung up on this idea of like, well, kids are so innocent. Mm-hmm. So let them enjoy a piece of turkey without <laughs> learning about the Trail of Tears. Like, And I understand that point of view. And I do think there is a developmentally appropriate thing where children understand things at different levels. But I do think it's time for us as white moms to say, we're letting ourselves off the hook a little bit with that point of view, that like to not introduce that is kind of a failing.
1: I think it's a real thing that parents of young children feel like, but my kid doesn't know that racism exists. So and again, that's white privilege speaking, right? My kid lives in a world where they think everybody's the same. Okay, and so I shouldn't I oughtn't disturb that utopian point of view that my child has and teach them that the world is a hard place. But I have a thought on that, but I want to hear what you think about that, Deborah. You know,
2: I think that kids notice difference quicker than we think they do. But what I really am hoping that we're learning from this is that I want them to hear it from me. I want them to hear it at home where it's safe where we can talk about how this interacts with our or intersects with our family values. You know, I talked to moms about talking about this kind of using the acronym love with L being for language. You know, language means some words matter. So how are you talking about it with your child? What words are you using? You have to be able to tell the truth in an age appropriate way. So to not discuss race is not being truthful. So there's a way that we can be truthful with our children about what this looks like in an age appropriate way, where for them, it's just the thing that we're talking about today. It's not we make it more serious and we get more up in arms about it than our kids
0: do. I think that's true. But I also think I see on Facebook and stuff, we sometimes also make it more facile than it is in terms of like, here's a picture of a black child and a white child hugging. See, kids don't see race. And it's like, (laughs) I get it. And I think it's an inspiring image in its own way. But that can't be the end of the story.
1: Right. Just like you can't like post a, a black square one day on social media and you're done doing your work. You've proven you're on the right side of this. It's not a one and done thing.
2: Exactly. You know, and I I missed the memo about the black square. (laughs) I saw a bunch. I was like, oh, wait, we're not doing this today. We can't. Oh, I didn't know. No one sent me the memo. I didn't know, guys. But, you know, and I think what people are really doing now is they want to bring attention to it. So, the black square, all of these different things is just a way of saying, guys, this is a thing. We need to be talking about this. And so, the idea that the three of us are sitting and talking about it, I think just helps people to realize it's not as scary as we think. And it's okay to not know something. And it's okay to just say, you know what? I don't understand that. I don't know that. I didn't know about that. It's okay to say that.
1: I wanted to go back to talking about being colorblind with young kids and why that's sort of counterproductive. I found some research by Dr. Erin Winkler, and I thought this was really interesting. She suggests that when we are sort of silent about race with our kids or use this sort of colorblind rhetoric, that we actually reinforce racial prejudice. And it's for the reason you said, Deborah, that Kids see patterns at a very young age. Kids see race. Of course they do. They see a pattern. And because they're human, they try to assign rules to what they see to make sense of the world as their little minds grow. And when we're silent about those patterns, they have no choice but to conclude that the differences they see must be caused by inherent differences between these groups and that the color of the skin must mean something if it's different rules for different people and nobody's telling me why
2: that's good yeah yeah that's good because here's the thing kids learn fear of other people kids are not born with that and so they don't see different as bad or wrong it's just different and they happily skip along with it we develop that fear of what's different as we get older through whether it's the media or, you know, other conversations or experiences that develops. And so the thing that I really like to encourage my white mom friends to do is to make sure you have toys and movies and games and these types of things in your house that represent different cultures. Don't let your daughter only have white dolls. Why? Because that's not real. That's not the reality of the world that she lives in. So it's important if this is becomes just the way you guys do things. She has some black dolls, some white dolls. She may have some Native American dolls. It's up to us to make this a normal and easy conversation in our homes. And, you know, I got to push on the moms a little bit because then the question becomes how diverse is your own group of friends? Because the old adage is true. Children do as we do. They don't do as we say.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is a hard truth and uh, something that I think is worth examining for all of us is that and this is, again, thematic on the podcast, right? That like if you want your children to be kind, but your table is always, you know, we're talking about how dumb this teacher is and how ugly our neighbor is and blah, blah, blah. You can say like it is so important to me to have my children be kind people. But the unfortunate reality of raising children that we return to again and again is that no matter what you say to kids, they are going to turn out just like you. And so I think it is worth examining, like, is my life reflective of a reality that I want my kids to live in? Exactly. And that's a hard thing to look at because it can be really illuminative in not a great way. Exactly. No, because here's
2: the thing. Living in an environment that's diverse is great. But what does it look like in your house when everybody's at home? Do you have a diverse environment? Do you have people that look different than you whose feet are under your dinner table at night occasionally, who maybe look different than you, vote different than you, believe different than you, have a different religion than you? What is, because when they come home, that's where this needs to be happening. It's great that, yeah, I'm from New York. I'm from Westchester. Absolutely diverse. Amazing. I love New York. Two kids live in Harlem right now. But what does your home look like? What does your circle look like?
1: Common Sense Media uh, put out something. I'll put it in the show notes for this episode. That was called How White Parents Can Use Media to Raise Anti-Racist Kids. And I thought it even made the good choice of like, what's your Netflix queue look like? Are you consuming content that features people of color, is made by people of color, speaks to that experience? And I think the answer for me is sometimes. But yeah, we can all do more. We can all be intentional about creating what our kids see. I mean, I definitely have always done that to make sure my boy saw strong women, you know, but you need to maybe go beyond Doug McStuffins, right? There's got to be meaningful content.
0: Absolutely. No, but that's, I mean, you know, we got to start. People are clinging to that Doc McStuffins. They're like, I got Doc McStuffins. Come on. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. I'm done. My work here is done. I've, we watched four episodes of Doc McStuffins.
2: <laughs> Check that box. We're good. No, but you know, and the other thing. Because there's different types of diversity, right? So we, our kids grew up, a good chunk of their childhood was spent in the Midwest. We lived in Ohio. Amazing community, great community, not very diverse. So we made a decision that when they played sports, we were going to go to a different part of town and they were going to play sports somewhere else. Sports is the great equalizer, my husband always says. Because we're on here as a team. We've got to make this happen together. And what becomes maybe an issue for adults, for kids becomes very simple. Don't talk to my teammate like that. You can't treat my teammate. So there's an immediate connection that sports can bring. So that's a great way. Maybe don't play in your neighborhood. Maybe have your kids play somewhere else.
0: Hmm. That's a really interesting point. Would have never thought of it. I mean, my kids don't play sports, so I'm immune to this. My kids are wildly (laughs) uncoordinated, so does not apply. But, you know, different activities, different after school activities. I think that's a
1: great point. All right. We're going to have more with Deborah after this break. Margaret, I've got a go to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. while Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this
0: bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread.
1: So here's another way that I think I sort of let myself off the hook as a mom instead of doing my job around this issue. I'm going to quote. Peggy McIntosh here. She founded the Seed Project. If you guys don't know what that is, it is a project in schools around the country, including at my kids' school, that teaches diversity and the issues around race as an integral part of the curriculum. It teaches the teachers. It teaches the parents. It teaches the kids. So anyway, here's what Peggy McIntosh, who is white, says. I was taught to recognize racism only as individual acts of meanness by members of my group but not in invisible systems conferring unsought racial dominance on my group from birth. And this really stayed with me because, yes, like I have done my kids aren't racist like I did it. You know, check that box. But what constitutes racism? I was defining that far too narrowly.
2: Yeah, I think what we want to think about are injustices and not necessarily racism. Right. No one wants their kid to be that kid. But what about the little things that are happening in their classroom, on the playground, in gym class? What about those injustices that they're seeing, but they are not even sure what to do about it, right? So I've talked about this acronym of love, LB in language, O being owning their voice, right? It's important that we empower our kids to own their voice and to use their voice, It's you don't have to go along with the group. You don't always have to agree with the crowd. When you see something, you say something. V would be of talking about values. It's very easy to connect this conversation to your own family values. What do we do when someone's not being treated properly? How do we respond as a family? We say something.
0: Okay, take us all the way to E.
2: Yes. E is empathy, which is very different than sympathy. We tend to think empathy and sympathy are the same thing. They are not. Sympathy is I'm so sorry that happened to you. Empathy is what would it feel like to be in their shoes and have that happen to me? And so we pause it that a minute because that's not a quick, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. I wish they didn't do that. But I have to take a minute to place myself where you are and think about how that would
0: feel. Well, and I think that what we're going through as individuals, as a nation in this time is this Vast exercise on our capacity for empathy. Is it possible for me who thinks of myself as a good person who loves everyone equally to be empathetic to people who have been in situations that I've never been in have had really different experiences with law enforcement, who's had really different experiences with just being in the world than I have had. And to, there is a reflexive need and I recognize it and I participated in it, to be like, Well, but I'm a super nice person, guys. Like, look at my resume of niceness. I'm great. And to be able to put that down a little bit and say, hmm, if I walk this walk and put my memes up on Facebook correctly, is it still okay that I live in a place and operate in a system that constantly benefits me and does not benefit people of color?
2: That's really good, Margaret therein lies the question
0: it's easy to say it's like i'm challenging myself to like yeah. i know what to say and i know how to say it right you know what i mean but mm-hmm. am i letting myself off the hook because i'm like i know all the terms i know all the right things to say i don't use the wrong words like i pass all of the social media tests right i'm an ally and a helper but there's more to it than that now so here's what I would ask then. I would say something like, okay, how many
2: 4th of July cookouts have we, have we all been to? Like tons. We can't even count. How many Juneteenth celebrations have you been to?
1: Yep. Uh, less
0: than one. <laughs> yeah, That would be a zero. <laughs> how many Christmases have we all celebrated? A billion. All of them. Most of them. How many
2: Kwanzaa celebrations have you been to?
1: I've been to a couple, but it's because my kids' school does it, right? I mean, they're doing the lifting for me. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would say, kids' school.
2: Right. So here's the point I'm making. We've got to do that because it's hard to empathize with a history or a people that you really do not know. It's very difficult. So I volunteer at the Smithsonian, the new African-American museum. I've been there since it was still being built. I feel like every American needs to be in that building because here's the thing, people like to say, oh, it's the Black History Museum. It is American history through an African-American lens. It is, we cannot separate that experience and that history from American history. It is American history. And so I tell people often, you need to make a visit to that. If that is your, I guess next year, maybe we'll be out of the house on spring break. (laughs)
0: From your lips to God's ears, Deborah.
2: Exactly. But for me, that needs to be on every parent's list of place to take their children. And yes, they may go with their class for the eighth grade D.C. trip if those ever come back again. But they need to be there with you. They need to see how you're responding to those exhibits. They need to look up and see you tear up when you see some of that. This has to happen in the family.
0: I think that's a great point. And that's the overall point is it's action over words. It's action over memes. It's like, where do you there's a famous expression that I love how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And like, how many days are we spending saying, let's explore other people's
1: experience other than our own. And it's complete white privilege to back to Peggy McIntosh. She talks about her invisible knapsack. Have you heard about this, Deborah, the Basically, that white privilege just means that you have an advantage that you don't understand and there's things in it you need to explore what's in your invisible knapsack that you maybe never knew you were carrying in the first place. And one of our first examples is if you're white, you can be sure that your kids are given materials in school that testify to the existence of their race. And that had never occurred to me, you know, that the centering of the white person's experience in America is the way things are, because to be white is just to be the average person. Right. Well, of course it isn't. But that's how it's structured. And this museum shouldn't be something for the special other that you should go understand once in your life. It's part of the American experience. But that's not how I was taught in school. My kids are getting a better crack at that. But I need to do a better job.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I didn't get a great experience of that either. In fact, so I told you, we lived in Ohio for a bunch of years for like 10 years. So and the kids, my son was maybe one of three African-Americans in a class of about 300. And so I volunteered every February to show up and to help with Black History Month. I thought, you know, it's coming every year, we can do this. And my poor kids, I mean, one year I dressed up as Ben Carson, I was a brain surgeon, one year I was (laughs) Sojourner Truth, and I could just see when I walked in the classroom, my kids were just like, can the floor open up and swallow me, please? Can I just vanish, please?
0: One thing that crosses all racial lines is mom's ability to embarrass their children. That's universal, let's all meet there. That's a wonderful thing. (laughs) The truth, <laughs> That's a universal language. Mom, please stop showing up in costume. You're embarrassing me.
2: We have an A. Yeah, he was like, Mom, can you not? Like, it'd be like January 25th. And he'd be like, Mom, please, please. But, you know, I saw it as my responsibility. Like, I'm right here. And if this is something they need support and help with, why would I not? And so the fact that kids now are getting a better hit with that and that things are happening, but there's still so much more that we can do at home. I get concerned when parents think, well, they're in a great school. They're getting all kinds of diversity. Yeah, but what about at home? What's happening at home? What do your dinner parties look like? What are your Thanksgivings? Like who else is there? And as far as giving them their voice and telling them to own their voice, you know, it gets back to, I have this story. One of my kids was sitting at the lunch table, eighth grade-ish, A very inappropriate racist joke was told. My child did not want to be the snitch. So, of course, they did not go to the principal. A young lady who we'll call Susan, because that's not her real name, a white girl, went to the principal's office, eighth grade, and she is ready to turn the tables over. She is banging on the principal's desk, explaining what happened, explaining how inappropriate that was, and wanting a response from him about what he was going to do about it. Eighth grade. And I'm thinking... How do we raise more Susans?
1: You know, something like that happened at my son's school. And the way my son perceived it, it was, yes, it shouldn't have been said, but it wasn't that big a deal because the person of color who was present for that said they didn't really care. And so then I had to have a whole separate conversation with my kid about how, like, that doesn't get you off the hook. And what else was that kid going to say in that moment? Can you talk a little bit about what it's like for kids of color when they are in the minority to feel like they have to do this work and how that's not fair and not easy.
2: It is such a burden. One of my other children, I don't want to name them because they'll be like, seriously, mom, you're still embarrassing us. You dressed in a costume and named me on a podcast, mom? Right, again. Um, But I remember there was a teacher that really wanted to do the right thing, and it was February, and so she was talking about, maybe it was Martin Luther King or Rosa Parks, and she literally looked at my daughter, oh, there we go, in ninth grade, (laughs) and says... Can you tell us how this makes you feel? And I thought, are you kidding me right now? And so this kid has a pretty quick tongue. And so this kid says, would you like me to speak for myself or for the entire African
0: American race?
2: (laughs) And I thought that was brilliant. Brilliant. Because I don't think the teacher meant it in that way. I really don't think she meant harm. But we have to be careful that we are not making children speak for a race. And that we're not making them have to explain or why they look different or we can't do that to kids. It's not fair.
0: And I think there's an aspect and I think this is one of the big hang ups right now, which is that there is a diversity of human experience among all humanity. So black people and white people have a different experience as groups of people, but then also as individuals. So the idea that, like, you know, an African-American person who you can interview to get a sense of the black experience is wrong to begin with. And the idea that people represent a cause. They're individual people. And then we're talking about communal. And it does get confusing for people. As I was saying earlier, I think people feel like, well, I guess I'll just give up because I can't keep up with the ever changing, you know, right words I'm supposed to use. And to get beyond that conversation and say, like, how are we as individuals each trying to fix this situation? That step seems confusing for myself and for people. I think you're right. I think many times people are trying to
2: tackle the whole problem as opposed to just taking a bite at the apple, right? You don't have to understand the African-American experience and the diaspora. Like No one's asking for all that. But how about you get to know the person that lives maybe in your building, on your block, on your street, you know, how about we start with just a one-on-one conversation? How about we start with having some folks over for dinner that look different? It's, we're making it more difficult in how to really walk this out, then I think it really is. I think it starts with just one-on-one getting to know people as people. And as we do that, you will then learn about their experience. It's part of the developing of a friendship. It's part of those conversations. It's part of what happens when you're sitting around having a glass of wine around a bonfire. It's part of what happens when you're going out to coffee or for tea. But because we're not as intentional, about building those kinds of relationships, then it just becomes a casual, hey, how you doing? And it's not going to happen casually. It's going to happen because we are making this a goal that we are setting an intention in our lives, not just to be an example for our kids, but because I need to do better.
0: We need to do better. All right, let's leave it there. And we'll be back right after this.
3: Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks.
1: Usually in part three, we kind of talk about like, okay, we've set up the problem. We know what the parameters are. Now let's pivot to the things that work. And I think we've already talked about a lot of things that work. But I want to make sure we're addressing sort of by ages and stages, what are the best practices around this can we start with like really little kids we've already sort of put the idea aside that like you need to put this off they shouldn't understand that this is how the world works but what's the best way to approach young children about race besides you know having the books and toys are there particular ways to approach it
2: I think that is how we start with young children because I think for children are very visual so if you have those things and if they're around and in your house then what for other people becomes different for your child becomes very normal. It's very normal to have a doll that doesn't necessarily look like me. It's very normal for us to watch movies or to have books by authors in our home. There are many children's books by African-American authors that are very visual, big picture books, even for children that aren't even yet reading. So I think for young children, I do think that's where we start, because I think for them, that makes the biggest impact.
0: And I think I like the idea of developmentally appropriate here, too, because... People often kind of cite this sort of facile example of like, well, kids don't see race. It's we that poison their minds and do some developmental reading. And we will put these resources up around race. There's a lot of interesting actual science around this and do some reading about development and race because there's a lot of stuff there.
1: This I got from the conscious kid on Instagram, which has been suggested to me a dozen times in the last week as a good account to follow. So these are from the conscious kid and you can find the actual, you know, the backtrack to the links to where they got these studies. But at birth, babies. Look equally at faces of all races, but by three months, babies make more eye contact with faces that match the race of their caregiver. Right. But that doesn't mean babies are racist. No, (laughs) it doesn't mean babies are racist, but it means babies aren't colorblind. Right. Yes, exactly.
0: I think that's the thing It's like developmentally. What's interesting is like people who look like you, there is a we love a biological imperative. Like there are biological imperatives going on that are like that are in deep in babies' brains. Like who is in my tribe? Who looks like
1: me? That's where I'm supposed to be. And that happens at a very that's different than racism. Of course it is, but it's we're approaching it the wrong way when we're saying a three-year-old doesn't understand that some people have different skin than others. Yes, they do. And by the time that they're five, studies show that they have pretty much internalized the attitudes of the people around them about race. They see, they understand, as we were saying before, they assign meaning to patterns that they see that aren't being explained and talked about. It doesn't mean they're racist, but it means we have to do a better job.
2: Mm-hmm. And that they're not colorblind. I think that's the point that it really, it kind of begs that question. They're not colorblind. We're, we do not live in a colorblind society and we cannot assume that our children are colorblind. They are not.
0: I think that's the thing that jumps out to me is that this idea that I see everyone equal, you really can't do that. You can't overcome what's going on inside of a baby's brain. And so that's why talking about it becomes super important and not like, oh, if we could all be like the little children who don't see people have different (laughs) colors. I think we can officially retire that point
2: of view. I agree. And I think as children get older too, again, this is not the one-time conversation. We can really begin this conversation even when it's not race. When children begin to notice, oh, he's taller than me. She's, you know, kids are brutally honest, she's fatter than me. Or I remember I was, we were at the grocery store once and this poor girl had a real acne problem and I just kept praying, Lord, please not today. Please don't let the kid, please, Lord, please, please, please. But of course... Mommy, what's that all over her face? You know, so it's whenever you notice your children starting to point out the difference of appearance in someone else, the race conversation is always already beginning, even though it's not a skin issue. It does. Does that make sense at all? I think it's crucial. So crucial. Yeah. So they're taller than me. Yeah, honey. You know, we grow at different rates. Some people end up taller. Some people end up shorter. So bringing truth at their age level so it does not make it like, oh, my gosh, they're getting to the age where I have to talk about race. You should already be talking about how people, how we're all different. That should not be a kind of light bulb moment at 7 or 8 or 10 or 12 or whenever you feel like, you know, for your kid, this is the moment.
1: I feel like it's gotten easy to talk to my teenagers about this because, I mean, it's just such a moment. If you turn on the news, if you pick up your phone, it's there. And so it's been very easy for me to have dinner conversations with them about it. And one good tip I read, I think this was Common Sense Media, that you should actually just ask your kids what they've seen online. Have you seen racist language online? Have you seen things that alarm you? Because, of course, the answer is going to be yes, and you might get some good conversations out of it.
2: I love just run right into <laughs> it. That's my approach, too. We're just going to run right into this, and we're just going to see what they say and where it takes us. And it really does provide a uh, great conversation, but also great insight. Because when you begin hearing how your kid sees that or what that did to your kid or what they thought, it really begins to reveal to you, like, what have we been putting in, right? When you squeeze an orange, lemon juice doesn't come out of it. So as you're talking to your kid and they're telling you, it's a direct reflection and black parents or white parents when we see ourselves when our kids start telling us what they're getting from these messages or what they're thinking or feeling about it it's a direct reflection and it really does give us an opportunity to course correct for ourselves for our family it begins to highlight for you maybe some things that you've missed some areas that you haven't addressed so when they're talking really listen for maybe where the holes are or where the things are that you need to be plugging in
0: and i think there is an emphasis that is shifting for me on helping your kids have a perspective and that empathy that you were talking about, Deborah. Like that seems to me so crucial in terms of like, how do you think your friend, who's one of maybe three African American kids in a class of 20, does it feel different for her that like she maybe is having a different experience of that class than you are having. And I think it is kind of minefieldy. Like, I don't want to layer something on my kid's friendship that she's not experiencing. You know, I don't want to thrust something in the middle of their friendship that is going to get in the way of their friendship in any way. But I think not acknowledging it and not allowing my kid to have those conversations is the wrong choice too. But at the same time, I kind of feel like they seem to be having this really nice friendship that doesn't involve stuff. But I think that part is much easier for my white kid than it is for her friend. And I feel lost in it a lot. I'm trying.
2: Yeah. There is a difficult balance, I think, because we want to be from just hearing you guys talk, my white friends, they want to be good allies, right? They want to be there. But on the other hand, you don't want to present like you're the savior of the day. Right. Like I saved them today. You know, you, so there is this tension, this balance of how do I do this? And I would say, encourage your children to be good listeners. Encourage your children to ask Can I help you with that? Or do you mind if I say something? Because sometimes maybe no. Sometimes maybe that kid's like, no, don't just don't. Not today. Don't say anything today. I'm sure that's what my son would have told his friend when that joke was told. But she was so livid about it that she didn't ask anybody anything. She went straight to the principal. She didn't go to the kids. She didn't go to a teacher in the cafeteria. She knew In eighth grade, this needs to be handled from the top. I need to see the principal right now. And so I think as a good ally and as a good friend, you want to be there. You want to be supportive. You want to be a great listener. You want to be able to call out an injustice, just like you would if a kid is being bullied. It's very easy to, you know, bullying was a really big thing and probably still is. My kids are grown now, so if they're being bullied, it's not my issue. (laughs) But, you know, when they were like, that was an issue. And so we don't want our kid to be the bully, but we also don't want our kid to be the one that just sits there and watches the bully either. So it's a similar feeling. We don't want our kid to be the racist. No, but we don't want our kids sitting there watching that either. So in your circle, maybe in your family, you know, we all have that one uncle or that one cousin who comes in with the inappropriate statement. Or calling somebody by an inappropriate name. What are you doing at that Easter table when that's in your family? Are you stepping up and saying, yeah, Cousin Bobby, we don't do that here. We don't call. No, that's inappropriate. Your kids need to see you step into those uncomfortable and difficult moments and conversations to
0: give them permission to be able to do it too. And I think people sometimes get, they get really nervous around all this stuff. And they're like, wait, am I? Stepping over my bounds, if I'm the white mom, like going into the school and asking for a Kwanzaa celebration, like, I guess I should leave that up to the African American people like that's their role. That's not my role. And one of the touchstones that we come back to a lot is like action over inaction is almost always the right choice. So you may get it wrong. And you may get goofed on online for trying to make a statement about something. But I my instinct is that it is a time for action over inaction. Yeah. You may not do the right thing,
1: but I think for your kids to see you trying means something. Well, you know what? I think this is the lesson I'm taking away from this is, yes, I am afraid of being called a Karen, right, of being like, oh, look, you're trying to do this and you did the wrong thing. But that doesn't mean you don't try. And if I do inadvertently expose a belief of my own that was rooted in white privilege, like, okay, then you learned something. I learned something by researching this episode. I understood things about the way that I was raised that I had never really thought about before. And that discomfort is something I think we're all trying to stay away from. Like we can all be putting up the right hashtags as long as that's sufficient, right? But if we have to do a little bit of the harder work, that gets uncomfortable. But that's how my kids learn, too. They learn by seeing me struggle with, you know, I always thought of the world this way and I realized that I was missing this other thing
2: absolutely. And Margaret, to your point about, you know, can you be the parent that, you know, asks about a Kwanzaa celebration. So we had a similar situation at one of my kids' schools. And what I told the principal was, look, Black History Month in an educational environment is not for my kids. We know we're black. We're quite aware of it, actually. The purpose of celebrations like that and acknowledging Black History Month is for the other children in the class and in the school to realize. We are not colorblind. There have been incredible sacrifices made by other people and contributions made by other cultures. So the purpose of a Kwanzaa or, you know, Black History Month, you know, we're doing that at home anyway. So my kids are aware of it. It really is for the non-people of color to be able to understand and experience that, you know, there is another history of America that you still need to be aware of. So I would say, go for it, girl. (laughs) I'm
0: doing it. I'm on it. Do it, girl. Do it. We are always heading in each episode to solving the problem that we present at the beginning. And we like to end with solved it. But I think what we've learned today is that we're not heading towards solved it here. I think we're not heading towards like, oh, I put a picture up of Mr. Rogers and the police officer both putting their feet in the same water. I've solved it. I'm all set. (laughs) Racism done. I feel like the most important thing we can take away from today is This is a fraught, difficult, and ongoing conversation that we need to keep having.
1: Yep, and stay uncomfortable and stay in it. Yeah, you guys nailed it. This was fantastic. Thank
0: you
2: so much for having me.
0: Lots more to do. And like, again, guys, it's not one conversation. It's not one episode. And I think it's a conversation we all need to keep having.
1: Deborah, can you tell us a little bit about where we can find you and about your work? Yes. So I'm a life coach
2: for moms. My goal has been to support moms with the overwhelm that I think we often feel in motherhood and also with having the confidence to follow your own gut instinct. I think a lot of times we're comparing ourselves to other moms. So my goal is to help moms with the confidence in being able to follow your gut instinct, even if your decision looks nothing like the other decisions what the other moms have decided around you. To also know the clarity of what's priority in your life. It's gonna look very different than other people's priority. And really, you need to be at the top of that list. And then the courage to know when you need to wave a flag and say, look, I need some help over here. Like I cannot do all this by myself. So I work with moms and coaching them in those areas. You can go to the website, which is MomsMentoringCircle.com. We're also on Instagram as well as a Facebook page. And, you know, my goal really is to just allow moms when you're sending that kid off to college that you're actually dancing out of the dorm. You're not full of tears and crying because here's the goal, guys. Motherhood is the one job you do that your goal is to work yourself out of that job.
1: I love it I love it You know this is when we usually do a sign off And talk about all our stuff This week I'm going to send you guys to a bit.ly Which I'm also going to put on the show notes for this episode It's bit.ly Slash Raising Anti-Racist Kids, all one word, lowercase. We're going to have links to Deborah and to all the things we've talked about today. We're going to make it an ongoing live doc that you guys can send us. Other stuff you think should be on there. I'm going to keep this conversation going. And Deborah, thanks so much again for joining us. Oh, this was incredible. You guys are amazing. Thanks, Deborah, And hey, you guys, we'll talk to you next week.
3: Well, hey there, Busy Mama.